You're listening to the Beginning of Wisdom podcast with Andrew Schumacher. Beginning of Wisdom seeks to engage in theology and apologetics in the sight of God. You can learn more at beginningwisdom.org. is Andrew Schumacher, as always. Excited to see you guys tonight and uh, get a good show going for you. Uh, This is going to be an interview. Uh, We've got Caleb Hegg from the Messiah Matters podcast, which is part of Torah Resource. Um, And Caleb's podcast, just to give you kind of how he introduces himself, uh, it says they are unashamedly Trinitarian, believe in salvation by grace through faith, not works. believe in the doctrines of grace, Calvinism, and a 66-book canon. Um, So they are, right off the bat, really um, setting themselves apart within the sort of Torah movement, Torah observance movement from really what you guys have probably heard me respond to a lot on this, uh, this show, uh, in terms of those, those folks. Cause they, there's a lot of things and way more than even that, <laughs> that, uh, that these guys uh, come down different on. Um, but, uh, I want to go ahead and bring them on and let's go ahead and do that. Caleb, how are you doing tonight? Doing great. Thanks for having me on Andrew. Yeah, no problem. I appreciate you coming on and I appreciate you being here despite, you know, not having, watched any of this show to know what you're kind of in for um <laughs> i apologize for that normally i do uh do at least a little due diligence to uh to understand who's going to be interviewing me and, and just not a good excuse but i've been so busy i just haven't uh mm-hmm. get to it so i apologize for that. well that's that's all right well the the good news is it i i promise i you know, I didn't bring you here under any false pretenses. You're, we're going to talk about the law and, you know, I've talked about that a lot. Um, knowing that you haven't really seen stuff helps me too. Cause I, I can kind of explain where I'm coming from on some things so that we can hopefully have a very productive conversation. Um, sure. and first of all, I wanted to ask you just what was the, what is the, and, and oh, I want to say one thing, this is sort of a, a shout out to something I've heard Rob say a few times on your show is how much he likes that Barry Sachs in your intro. And I, I agree with Rob. That is, that is a great, great little, uh, it's very catchy. <laughs> it always sticks yes. in my head. Um, anyway, uh, but that intro, um, talking about, you know, all of these points of, these aren't, you know, Hey, we believe in, you know, following the Torah that that's not in there. Um, cause obviously this far in, you've been doing this a long time, you know, your audience knows that, but it, what what prompted you guys to to put that kind of stuff right there in front when someone comes to hear your podcast? Yeah, it's a good question. First, uh, we I should tell you that in the comments we have people saying that my audio is really low. Okay, so I'm not sure if you can fix that on your end. Uh, let's see. I've got you as loud as I can on. I wonder if I can bring my. Uh, Maybe you can bring yours up a little bit. Try this. Is that any better? The, I can hear you a little better now. Yeah. Okay, we'll try to. I'll try to bring it up even more. Oh, that's good. Um, that's good. You're right in the sweet spot now. Okay, good. Um, okay, so, so sorry about that. Get, let's get back to the the question at hand. Um, yeah, yeah. 
so we've had numerous different intros for um for our show we're actually in the seventh season right now mm-hmm. and um so i'm actually the person who edits that all together and one of the things that people that i started to notice within the hebrew roots movement i don't i i need to quickly say i don't consider myself to be part of the hebrew roots movement um actually i've i've written and uh, done videos on why i reject the hebrew roots movement um so with that said i started to realize a trend that was happening within um certain um maybe i wouldn't say across the board but i certainly believe that anti-trinitarianism is actually one of the main tenets uh, so i i need to slow down a little bit i've argued before that there's three main ten- tenets within the hebrew roots movement and that um if you are in the hebrew roots movement it's my argument that you most likely 99% of the time will agree with one of these three tenets they are mm-hmm. uh belief in the sacred name movement that is that if you don't say the name of god properly or if you use something like jesus that you're that you're not doing it right and you're not actually saved so that mm-hmm. would be one tenet um the other belief would be that um in what is called two house theology and there's all different flavors of two house theology mm-hmm. <clears throat> pardon me but with that said, um, two-house theology is, is one of the things that actually has kind of set um, the Hebrew Roots movement apart. And then another one is a rejection of the Trinity. And so mm-hmm. um, I started to, when I started to research that, I thought, you know what? I just want people to know straight up that we are Trinitarian and that we're not ashamed of that. And that, um, you know, we're, we're willing to go to bat to defend that. Um, and so then I just thought, okay, well, let's put let's put all of the buzz, you know, all of the things that offend, <laughs> yeah, all of the things that offend people, uh, you know, within the, within the quote, quote unquote tour movement, um, the Hebrew roots movement, let's just go ahead and, and, uh, lay it all out there so that uh, people know exactly what we, what we, uh, what we believe. Yeah. And so that's what we've done. And we've actually gotten quite a lot of, uh, a lot of comments right off the bat, you know, people will come and we know that it's the first time in the chat room because they'll say something like, I can't believe you guys are Trinitarian and then we won't see him anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Which is fine. And I'm happy with that. I've, I've heard you on the show kicking those people. <laughs> um, <laughs> and what's funny is, you know, I, in, in what my experience, I've had a lot of folks say, Oh, we're, I'm not part of the Hebrew roots movement, but they theologically are indistinguishable from you know, right. a lot of what you said. And they said, well, right. no, Hebrew roots is just like Torah observant, but mean. It's like, I don't think you understand how labels like this work. Theological right. labels have to, you know, if you're theologically indistinguishable, then you're, you're not mean, but you're, you know, you don't have to accept a label, but you know, if someone's responding to Hebrew roots and you believe everything they're responding to, they're responding to you whether you like the label or not. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things, you know. I mean, right on, right in line with this, one of the things that I've noticed about the Hebrew Roots movement is that um, many people within the Hebrew Roots movement itself don't realize that there is a pretty large distinction between Hebrew Roots and Messianic Judaism. Mm-hmm. And, um, and a lot of people think that the main stream or the, the thing that connects everything is Torah observance. And I disagree with that. I don't think that Torah mm-hmm. observance is actually... Um, I mean, obviously, people in the Messianic movement, many of them do believe in the uh, the observance of the Torah, uh, as do people in the Hebrew Roots movement. But there are major differences on theology within those two. So 
my understanding before I got really into this stuff and I didn't really, I was like, well, some people like this label or that label. I'm going to, if I'm responding to someone, I'm going to respond to what they say. I don't you know, care what their label is. And if, if they don't like the label I use, then fine, scrap it. I don't care if you like the label, you know, give me a better label. I'll use it if I'm talking to you, but let's sure. talk about the substance. Um, but what, what would you say is the main, my understanding of the difference was always, you know, whether someone was, you know, ethnically Jewish or not, at least that's how I've heard it explained. But then I've also heard that most Messianic Jewish congregations are also majority, not ethnically Jewish. And so I, I guess, um, what would you say is the, are the different, what's a Messianic Jewish congregation on, on your definition? Yeah. I mean, this is a really difficult question <laughs> to be completely honest with you. Yeah. The reason why is because within Messianic Judaism, you have people who are kind of all over the place. In fact, um, you have people like Dr. Michael Brown who right. are who who call themselves Messianic Jews, and the reason Dr. Michael Brown calls himself a Messianic Jew is because he is who believes in Jesus. And technically speaking, in terms of the way that we define words, that would be a Messianic Jew. Right. Certainly, we could say, okay, yeah, I understand that. But then you mm -hmm. have other people who would say, okay, well, I'm a Messianic Jew, and they hold, and you know, and when we look at theology within like the UMJC, which is, I would argue, probably the largest Messianic Jewish organization, possibly also the MJTA, mm -hmm. you have other distinctions. Um, history is one of the main ones. Mm -hmm. So uh, Hebrew roots really stems out of a worldwide church of God and um, sacred name. You have both of these groups really kind of coming into the spotlight in the 60s. Whereas Messianic Judaism mm. rather starts as an outreach by the Pentecostal movement, to be completely honest, you have, uh, so within both of these movements, you have, um, you have predominantly Arminian theology. So mm -hmm. a free will model, right. which is interesting, which I've always thought is interesting because ultimately, if you look at Abraham and Isaac, Isaac didn't, you know, Abraham tried to get Ishmael to have the, you know, in other words, you see yeah. predestination from the very beginning within Israel. And so why would people who are anyway, you know, yeah. get what I'm, where I'm going with this, where, why would they believe in a free will model? Anyway, mm -hmm. not the point. Um, I would also argue that within now, so my father who is uh, the president of Torah resource, mm -hmm. he um, would certainly claim to be a Messianic Jew. He's Jewish ethnically. He is, you know, worships in a Jewish manner, which would I say Jewish, I would say modern Judaism. In other words, it, it, the congregation he goes to and that he is a leader at is, um, it, it looks pretty much like a Jewish synagogue. And mm -hmm. so I grew up going to two. I grew up going on Saturdays to a Messianic Jewish synagogue. And then on Sundays, I would go to a non-denominational church. Um, but my father would claim to be a Messianic Jew because of the style of worship that he uh, that he participates in, and because of some of his belief in Torah. Um, however, I would say that my father is probably unique that he believes that Gentiles should be keeping the Torah as well. Mm -hmm. So my father believes that the Torah is the means of sanctification for all believers, not just Jews. Mm -hmm. And this is actually not a mainstream view within Messianic Judaism. Most right. Messianic Judaism, so for instance, the UMJC and the MJAA both believe that the Torah is only for Jews and that the, and the MJAA would even argue that the, well, both of them, I, I believe, would argue that the Torah has pretty much been done away with, but it is still an identity marker for Jews. 
Mm-hmm. And um, so you have like Mark Kinzer, who has written his work, you know, and, and argued what we call bilateral ecclesiology. And this is mm-hmm. something that I reject fully, but, and I think that Ephesians, <laughs> I think Paul rejects it fully yeah, too. Yeah. But this is the idea that God actually has two standards for two different, for different people within the ecclesia of God or the, or the assembly mm-hmm. of God. Um, what we'd call the church. And so Kinzer has described it before as, you know, God's family is a duplex with the Jews on top and the uh, Gentiles on the bottom. Never the two shall meet. In other words, the Torah is for the Jews up here and they should be in the synagogues while mm-hmm. the Jew, the Gentiles should be in the church. However, what's interesting about Kinzer and mm-hmm. other people uh, that subscribe to bilateral ecclesiology is see that the church quote unquote church ultimately as the Roman Catholic church. And so mm-hmm. it's kind of like, well, the, the, the Gentiles can be, now I wouldn't make yeah. that a sweeping statement, but the Gentiles can be over here in the Roman Catholic church. And then the believing Jews should be in a messianic synagogue. So mm-hmm. that's, I mean, and I, I fully reject that. I, I yeah. don't ascribe to that in any way. Yeah. I have uh, at least one uh, frequent commenter uh, listener who, who I, I don't know exactly how, they would express it, but who does express that, you know, yeah, Gentiles, it's separate, this sort of separate set of, of rules. And I agree. I, I agree with that. I don't, I don't believe that that's the case. Um, I think that, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get into the, I want to get into a lot, but I want, what I wanted to do is ask you a few questions kind of to, you know, people who listen to this show, um, I've, I've talked about, and I've called it Hebrew roots, but I've also been very, you know, clear that, you know, the label isn't the important thing. Um, and honestly, uh, you know, what I found is that there are those who I have, you know, listened to who are clearly heretical. Um, not only, I mean, obviously the Trinity thing, but even on, you know, the gospel and salvation by grace through faith and all that, you know, uh, one that I responded to that I still get lots of comments on <laughs> this, this show was, uh, G Steven Simons or Gary Simons. He, um, he has a ministry called triumph in truth and his it's, it, he, he has had a couple of, of sermons where he clearly states yeah, you, your faith and your works come together to bring about salvation. And I'm like, that is not <laughs> the gospel. Yeah. Um, yeah. We see, we actually see this uh, predominantly, you know, in, and people slip into this, I think within the, I mean, just overall Torah movement, no matter what flavor you want to use from that, I think that people fall into this. And that is the idea that, okay, well, you know, if, and I, we can actually kind of uh, trace the steps it takes to fall into this heresy. And it is, okay, you're saved, but you're justified by faith alone is where they're going to start with. But then yeah. they're going to say, okay, but you are sanctified. And if you're not sanctified correctly in your mind, if you're not sanctified and they're going to define this predominantly, what I've heard the argument is, is, oh, well, if somebody doesn't keep the Sabbath, Mm-hmm. which is, you know, really, really very important to God. If you don't keep the Sabbath, then you're not really sanctified. Mm-hmm. And if you're not really sanctified, then you don't really have the fruit of the Spirit. And if you don't have the fruit of the Spirit, then you're not really saved. And what this has done is it's basically allowed people, and this is not across the board. Yeah. I don't want to act like this is across the board. But, right. they, but there are some people who basically, 
they preach work salvation and they do it by trying to get there through you're not sanctified because you're not keeping all of the commandments. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, anyone who truly believes in salvation by faith alone, justification by faith alone, should know that we are all on a path of sanctification. And if you think that you are fully sanctified, then you got bigger problems yeah. uh, than, than you think. Yeah. Especially when, you know, you're, you're looking at, you know, you're saying, well, I'm fully sanctified because look at my, look at what I eat, look at which day I get together with people. And, and I just, I, but then, you know, and again, this is not across the board, but I've experienced it a lot. Um, they'll, you know, false, falsely accuse people of all kinds of things and, you know, say, oh, you, you're a, you're a, a minister of Satan because you say this and that, you know, against, you know, my position and, and, or, you know, you're just in it for this or that reason. And it's like, okay, um, care to give me any evidence of that? Cause if not, you're breaking the ninth commandment and you're breaking, uh, Deuteronomy 19 about witnesses, <laughs> about bringing witnesses. You're bringing an accusation against me. You don't have a problem with breaking these other commandments because you think I'm breaking, you know, the other ones that you care about. And I, I mean, you, you and I are going to obviously, and I think we already know this, you and I are mm-hmm. going to disagree on certain aspects yeah. of what the, what laws should be kept today. However, mm-hmm. one of the things that I've started to ask people who are real big on whether or not the, you know, who essentially try to bring in the idea that, you know, and I hear this a lot, the Christians aren't saved. Mm -hmm. I have major problems with, with such a statement for multiple reasons. First of all, I, I believe I'm a Christian. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that I'm not a Christian. And when you start to try to separate, um, you know, the body of Christ, then automatically we have major problems. But second of all, when you try to say, well, this person isn't saved because they don't celebrate the Sabbath or whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you know, predominantly within the Torah movement today, one of the things that we see is people have this great excuse. I'm not part of a congregation because no one around me that, that or yeah. I'm not part of a congregation because the people that, that are around me who keep Torah, they're crazy. And I understand that. I understand that it's hard, but at the same time, um, the fact is, is that those who say that they want to keep Torah, it is commanded to gather on the Sabbath. And mm-hmm. so these people who are preaching so loudly that the Christians aren't keeping the Sabbath, guess what? If they're not part of a congregation, they're not keeping the Sabbath the way that the Sabbath says mm-hmm. either. And so there's kind of this double standard that goes on within the Torah movement. And I'm, I'm the first to say that we can't keep Torah perfectly. I don't believe that. I don't mm-hmm. think that we, you know, I'm not sitting here saying that I'm this, you know, up on a pedestal and, and, and that I keep Torah, uh, you know, better than anyone else or anything like that. All I'm saying is, is that there is no grace when it comes to the idea that, you know, I, like I said, I grew up both in the church and in a messianic synagogue. My family didn't start uh, even thinking about the idea of Torah or anything until I was six. So, you know, most of the people who are in the quote unquote Torah movement today come from the church and mm-hmm. they have zero grace from for the people who are in the position that they used to be in. And that is really, to me, uh, egregious. And, you know, we're, we're preaching Christ. And the point is, is that we are all on a journey and a walk to try to love God and to love mm-hmm. Christ come closer to our savior as, as best we can. 
So the idea of pointing fingers to me, and this is why I say many Christians keep Torah better than many who, you know, who believe in Torah, mm-hmm. believe the Torah is still in act today, right. or, you know, that we should be following Torah. And the reason they do that is because I know plenty of Christians who truly love others and truly are trying to bring other people to Christ. Whereas within the Torah movement, there's just so much division, so much uh, finger pointing. And it's mm-hmm. really, really uh, sad to me. Yeah. Well, and yeah. And, and I, I guess what I wanted to do and, and I appreciate you sharing that stuff because you've already answered like half the questions I have for you, at least some of the preliminaries, <laughs> we're going to get into some, some deeper stuff, but the, uh, you know, I wanted to, you know, I've said like, there's definitely those who I have said and use the H word, you know, uh, about, you know, the, yes, this is, this teaching is heresy, but, and then, but the majority of those that I've responded to, um, in the Torah or Hebrew roots, whatever movement, I haven't, I haven't said that because I don't really know. <laughs> like, like they cl- they'll say, well, I believe in, you know, I believe Jesus is God, but it's kind of fuzzy when they try to explain it. And Hey, I, there's plenty of Christians I know that, you know, that aren't part of that movement that, that have that same uh, affliction. Right. Uh, and, and when it comes to, you know, salvation by grace through faith, you know, I, I hear that and I'm like, okay, I believe you. I'm not going to, you know, doubt that that's what you believe. But then I haven't heard just the solid here. And here's how everything, you know, they'll, they'll go on, like you said, and they'll say something that's like, so if you're not keeping Sabbath, you're not, you know, like, like they'll make this argument, you know, that you're not part of the kingdom because of this verse or that verse. And it's like, well, okay, but now how that doesn't even jive with what you said before. So I, I, I chalk that up to, um, something, uh, James White calls blessed inconsistency. You know, he, he's, <laughs> he says that about Arminians. He says, you know, most Arminians are, are, are very Calvinistic in their prayers, but not in their, <laughs> in their stated theology, you know, that, that's exactly right. <laughs> and, yeah, I, I love, I love Dr. White. And, and I know that you uh, did a, a recently about, uh, about, my, our interaction are very limited, but our interaction mm-hmm. with Jeff Durbin, I yeah. love those guys, by the way, yeah. I listen to yeah. Jeff Durbin and, and I respect Jeff Durbin. I actually um, have contacted him a couple of times just personally. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I have nothing against those guys. In fact, I, I, I see them as kind of theological giants mm-hmm. um, and an honor to even them respect us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish that that conversation would have gone differently. But one of the things I'm, I'm bringing this around, one of the, yeah. one of the things I want to say about what you have just said is that, you know, it's not just in the in the Torah movement, and, and yeah. I think Christianity across the board. One of the big problems that we have is that people believe today uh, that Christianity is a weekend sport. In mm-hmm. other words, we go to Christ, we we go to church on Sunday, or we go to church on Saturday, or whatever your your chosen day may be, and you go and uh, you sit down for a half an hour to an hour, and you fulfill your duty, and now you can check check off the box that says I'm good with God. And the problem yeah. is is that we as believers uh, need to make our walk with God our full-time endeavor. And, and uh, that includes education. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I realized about myself about eight to 10 years ago was that I could talk a big game because I knew the right things to say, but I didn't really understand a lot of my own theology. I didn't mm-hmm. understand things like the Trinity. I didn't understand things like salvation by, uh, it, it, or, you know, the doctrines of grace and things like that. And it took me, you know, really diving into a lot of books and really trying to 
saying, I want to understand this mm-hmm. until I, you know, until I can figure it out. Yeah. And um, not that I have it all figured out by any nation, but I think that more people both in the Torah movement and just in Christianity as a whole need to take the responsibility of saying it, it we need to, we need to be, uh, we need to take ownership of what we believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Um, and, and yeah, I was, I was excited, you know, to potentially have you guys have you on, um, you know, whichever, but, but obviously it seems like you're more the, the guy that goes on other stuff, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I was excited to do that because, you know, my audience, I've, I've mentioned you guys various times on various shows as an example of someone like this is someone, you know, I can't see hearts, but based on everything I can see, th- these are brothers in Christ. We, we disagree about some pretty significant things, but ultimately we, we disagree on ethics. We disagree on what, what sort of behavior does God expect of us? And, um, the heart is in the same place. We, we want to obey God. We want to live the way God wants us to live. You know, we're not, um, you know, and, and I, I uh, listen to you guys' shows, you know, I can tell that from what I can tell, it sound, you know, you guys sound like very, very honestly about what you believe. You know, you, you just, this is what, this is why we believe it. It's pretty cut and dry. Um, so I wanted just to kind of transition a little bit into talking a little bit about the law. I wanted to get, I guess your, uh, just a, f- a few questions to, to sort of get the ball rolling. And then I'll, I'll give you kind of a really fast and dirty version of where I kind of stand on, on all this. Um, okay. and, and then we can kind of go back and forth on a few, you know, I think some of the key points that, that always come up, you know, in these, these conversations. But, um, sure. so how would you define now? I hear what you said. It sounds like you're, you're, you're fought a lot of messianic and it sounds like you guys kind of fall more in line with the messianic Jew thing, except also believing Gentiles are supposed to, to keep the Torah yeah, I mean, as, as we, opposed to most, some of those that don't. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been a real stickler for, for uh, labels for, I mean, mm-hmm. my whole life. I, I call myself yeah. a non-denominational Christian, but yeah. I mean, I, I certainly would accept the uh, Messianic Jewish title. I just yeah. for ease of use. Yeah, yeah. And I'm 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 with you. If if you want to call me a Baptist, or if you want to call me a Calvinist, or if you want to call me a you know just a Christian, or or make up you know if you want to call me a, whatever. If if it if it fits, you know, sure. I'm, I'm cool with it. Um, yep. So how how would you define? I guess. Um, in your own words, because I don't want to put words in your mouth, how would you define the Gentile believers' relationship to the law of Moses? Like, what is yeah. what does that look like for you? I mean, now we're getting to the meat of things, right? Yeah. This is really what this is really the 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 question, and I'm not going to um try to put up um something that that I mean, the honest truth is is that this is something that has really that I think everyone has struggled with, including the Christian church at times. Yeah. Um, but ultimately the question that I, that I would have to ask myself is first, let's look at what was the Gentile, um, the Gentiles relationship to the law of Moses before Christ came. Mm-hmm. And to me, when a person 
the way that I see it is that we, it's not necessarily whether or not someone kept laws or not. The question that I finally have to come to is how did a person see themselves in re- relationship to covenant relationship with the God of Israel? So mm-hmm. um, I don't believe that we can separate the, the covenants. I believe that the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, and even the new covenant is all tied together. The Davidic covenant, of course, mm-hmm. all tied together. And I don't believe that we can necessarily separate them. Um, and so with that said, uh, the Abrahamic covenant, obviously, Paul calls it the gospel in Galatians. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, the question is, is how, you know, obviously the Messiah is the, the forefront of that. In your seat, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. This is the gospel message. Um, mm-hmm. Now, circumcision is also taken into the Mosaic covenant. The Mosaic covenant ultimately is the, uh, the, the document and I, I mean, I'm sure that you're aware that, you know, really good scholars have looked, Dr. Block, Daniel Block and um, Meredith Klein have both done extraordinary work on, on Deuteronomy as the suzerain vassal treaty between mm-hmm. Israel and the great king being the father. And um, so when I think of Torah observance and or when I think of Gentiles and their relationship to the Torah, what I think of is not whether or not Gentiles should be keeping X, Y, Z law. Like, is it this law, that law or anything? It's, are they included in the covenant? Mm -hmm. Do they receive the blessings of the covenant? And I see not only eschatologically that in Ezekiel, the Gentiles get land grants. They get, they get portions of the land. Mm -hmm. That tells me that they are part of the land covenant because whatever uh, tribe they are residing in, that's where they get land in. Mm -hmm. And Within the Torah before Christ comes, it seems like the Gentile was just seen as someone who attached themselves to Israel. I think that Paul talks about this in Romans. Now, in Romans, I, I know Romans 11 is, is going to be a point that, uh, you know, many people are going to disagree with because mm-hmm. there's all sorts of talk about, okay, what's the olive tree? What's the root? Mm-hmm. You know, all these mm-hmm. kind of things. And so... Um, I, but I believe that the olive tree is Israel, and I believe mm-hmm. that the root is the Abrahamic covenant. That's how I read Romans 11. So mm-hmm. the Abrahamic covenant, or the covenant, is what gives life to the tree, the tree being Israel. I don't believe in replacement theology, mm-hmm. that the church now replaces Israel. I believe in enlargement theology, that through covenant, Gentiles are grafted into believing Israel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I, I think there's, there's a sense in which I, I agree with that, um, for sure. But I, I guess, yeah, I, um, that, that does give, gives an idea, I think of what we're talking about. I mean, obviously there are the texts in the law about, you know, the same law for the, the Jew or the Gentile, um, for, you know, uh, a hang few things a sec, for but, sure. Yeah. But hang on, hang on just a second, Andrew. Can we, can we actually yeah. focus on that for a second? So that when and this is actually a debate within uh, the Messianic Jewish scholars. So there are yeah. some actually there are some decent Messianic Jewish scholars out there, and and they're going to say, well, the uh, the laws that say predominantly the laws that say the you know it's the same law for the Jew and, and for the foreigner among you. That's for the Passover, right? And so then the question becomes, okay, well, can you celebrate the pat? The question that I want to pose then is, can you celebrate the Passover? In other words, can you partake in the Passover if you're not circumcised? And the no. answer is no, you can't. No. So ultimately, right there, we have the Gentiles that come into the covenant relationship 
that have to be circumcised in order mm-hmm. to keep the Passover because there's one law for the Jew and for the Gentile. Right. And then from there we go into, and I'm sure that this is going to be a point that you and I disagree on, <laughs> but then we go into Sabbath observance because the Passover has a, has two Sabbaths attached to it, right? The first day is a Sabbath. The 15th of Nisan is a Sabbath. Mm-hmm. And the last day of Passover is, is a Sabbath as well. So right within the Passover narrative, you have Gentiles that A, need to be uh, circumcised in order to keep it. You have a sacrificial system that is set up right there. So Gentiles are obviously going to be bringing sacrifices, and I think that's well established anyway. But then you have uh, Sabbaths that take place as well. Mm-hmm. So it seems to me that from the very get-go, the uh, the Gentile is expected to keep the law in the same way mm-hmm. that the, that quote unquote Jews. And I, I mean, Israel is supposed to. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And, and I, I don't find any problem with any of that, you know, in terms of, of the, the context. Um, but we'll, again, I want to, I want to kind of establish where you're coming from and then I'll establish where I'm coming from and then we'll, we'll get into some of the, the nitty gritty. Um, so, as far as any sort of changes, does your view allow for any kind of changes as far as how we're now supposed to approach the law as compared to when, you know, if we were an Israelite living in the ancient nation of Israel before, before Christ, like, is, is there any sort of things that, that we should see changing now? I mean, what's your, I mean, this, this is a good question. And ultimately I'm going to, I mean, at the surface, I'm going to say no. I think that the Torah is mm-hmm. the same today as it was before. And mm-hmm. obviously, the the big one that everyone's going to go to is the is the temple, mm-hmm. and the fact that uh, you know, it, do you believe that there are sacrifices that should be given today? And you know, mm-hmm. and then we get into um, questions like, well, why don't you sacrifice in your backyard? And and all these kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, I do see uh, these. I believe. And I mean, I'm, I'm not an end time scholar by any stretch of the imagination. My eschatology is, is probably one of my weakest points. Mm-hmm. But with that said, I think that the temple that is, is described in Ezekiel in the final, or, or what is it? 40 through 50 or 33. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, I, I think that it's different than any temple that we've seen. I, I don't think that it being metaphor is really, it doesn't, it doesn't read like metaphor because there's 10 chapters of it and it lays out all of the dimensions of the temple. Mm-hmm. And then we also have it corroborated in Zechariah in Zechariah 14, when all the nations go up to, uh, mm-hmm. to the King who's reigning from Jerusalem to celebrate the festival of Sukkot. And so obviously within the festival of Sukkot, you have um, sacrifices. In fact, I think that's one of the main kind of focuses of Sukkot. And then mm-hmm. also within the Ezekiel temple, you have the prince offering sacrifices. Um, and I know that a lot of a lot of Christians, I've been told directly to my face that the idea that uh, we would sacrifice again in a temple is spitting on the cross. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I've been told that numerous times by people who are very close to me. Mm-hmm. And um, I just don't see that within the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Well, and yeah, okay. So I... And, and that is something I've seen. I would recommend that, uh, what, you know, you like Durbin, one of his favorite sayings is eschatology matters. <laughs> sure. um, and, I'm not and saying I, it doesn't. I, yeah. And, and I think, you know, so this is one of the areas um, I, I've definitely seen a lot of folks, or this is, 
I don't think I've seen an exception to this, but you know, there could be, you know, there's diverse groups, but, um, within the Torah movement and Hebrew roots, pretty much everybody agrees in this idea of a, the third physical building that is a temple that's going to happen and there's going to be sacrifices there. There are different, um, I've seen different takes on that in terms of what, what is needed. Um, I've heard some Hebrew roots people say, no, the sacrifices are done away with. Jesus did that, you know? Um, and, and so they don't, but then that same person say, oh yeah, there's going to be a temple and there's going to be sacrifices. So what's, you know, what's going on there. I'd, I'd have to ask that person to, to know for sure. And I, I, I'm still waiting to hear back. Um, <laughs> can, can I ask, can yeah. I just, cause I don't know. Can I ask you a yeah. question real quick? Are, Absolutely. In terms of eschatology, are you um, pre mill post mill? I would we, say we, so for right now I'm probably, you know, as far as labels, I've been a mill for, very long time and now leaning more towards post mill uh because of the but but really ah mill is a version of post mill um technically speaking um they just say you know this is all the millennium like between christ and the second you know the first and second coming is just all metaphorically the millennium and at the at the end of that christ comes back well that's post that's a version of post mill kind of but there's different takes on that yeah yeah, the reason that I ask you that is because, I mean, I, I say that I'm not an end time guy, but I think mm-hmm. that's probably more the fact that I've never really died, you know, yeah. but I would consider myself pre-mill. Yeah. And this is one of the things that is going to obviously inform, no matter mm-hmm. who you are, if you're a Christian or if you're Torah observant or whatever, Right. Um, this is one of the things that's really going to inform how we view that, you know, Ezekiel's temple and then the passages in Zechariah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. And, uh, and I think that's, a, you know, maybe we should have another, you know, another conversation about that sometime. But, uh, but I, what I, I guess what I was driving at is that I've seen when it comes to, I've seen that the eschatology and, and you said yourself, you know, you're not a, an expert on eschatology. And I think most people that you ask would say, I'm not an expert, <laughs> not an expert on eschatology. It's kind of the, for for most Christians, I've found it's either the one thing they only want to study and talk about, or they just it's like the last thing on the list. It's 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 I've seen very very little middle ground. Some, you know, there and those who are in the middle ground are typically like doing really good things um, because they they they're more balanced, I think, in their thinking. But sure. to me, uh, what I've found is a lot of the argumentation, the actual evidence I've been presented with for Torah observance has to do with this, you know, premillennial eschatology, this future temple. Um, and it's like, okay, well now we're talking eschatology. And if, unless you, unless that's really solid, unless you're absolutely sure about that, um, you're, you're basing stuff that's the, you know, from scriptures that are a lot more sort of plain and clear on, on this sort of, uh, prophetic stuff. And, and to me, that's getting things backwards. You know, it's, it's saying, you know, I want to, you know, I want my, I want it all to be biblical, obviously, but I would say, you know, whatever my eschatology is, it should flow from the same hermeneutic as what the way that I get to the much clearer, plainer 
you know, conclusions that I have and it should dovetail. It shouldn't be like, well, I think that this eschatology, therefore, you know, I think all this other stuff should be reinterpreted some other way, kind of a, kind of a position. Yeah. But, so just in, in regards to that, I, I mean, I would tend to agree with what you're saying. In fact, yeah. <clears throat> pardon me. Um, the idea of Torah observance for me actually comes from, from the opposite direction. In other words, mm-hmm. I believe that God is a covenant making God. Yeah. And I believe that God has been in covenant with his people even before the Mosaic covenant came about. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I believe that God relates to his people through covenant. Now when, and as I've already said, I believe the covenants, um, can't be separated necessarily from each mm-hmm. other. With yeah. that said, um, you know, I, I, I don't know if you've ever heard me talk about the, you know, my, my idea of the Mormon problem. And we were talking a little bit before we came on air about the idea of Mormonism. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I've seen with Mormonism is they'll say, well, progressive revelation. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, I'll, you know, when I talk to Mormons, I'll say, well, you know, Paul says X, Y, Z. And they'll say, yeah, but our prophets later came and changed that. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, 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 you can't change that because right. this is this is the Bible. And so when we look at the scriptures mm-hmm. that have been written down, obviously the first scriptures that are written down are the law. Now, if anything comes after that, and when I say the law, I mean Moses and the, the five books of Moses, right? right? Anything that comes after that that disagrees with that can't be true. And so when we see Moses lay out the covenant stipulations, and when we see Moses lay out the covenant with, with the people of God, mm-hmm. because God is a covenant-making God, Mm-hmm. And then something, you know, then the standard Christian um, means, I shouldn't say that, that, a very poor choice of words, I, I apologize. The um, mainstream scholarly view of the, of that cov- of the Mosaic covenant is that parts of it are done away with. Mm-hmm. The, but the problem with that is, is that within the covenant itself, it says these things are forever. Mm-hmm. It shall be throughout all your generations. Now, this is before we even get into the discussion of Jew and Gentile. Mm-hmm. But if, if I'm a Jew in the Christian church and by eth- eth- ethnically, and the Torah has said that throughout all my generations, I should insert whatever law here. Mm-hmm. I should keep the Sabbath. I should keep the kosher laws, whatever it may be. Then someone like Paul comes along and says, no, 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 that doesn't matter anymore. Which mm-hmm. by the way, I don't think Paul said, but um, if that's, what we see, that's kind of the same, I, you know, formulation that Mormonism is using in my mm-hmm. mind. And I would be interested in your your, yeah. uh, your ideas on that. But the idea that, you know, later revelation can now supersede what was given in the beginning. Yeah. And I, I, uh, I appreciate that. And that's actually, um, I'm very sensitive to that problem. I never called it the Mormon problem, but I, I understand what you're, where you're coming from. And when I first, you know, a few years back, when I first started diving into this stuff, um, my my heart was, I want to make sure that I I'm consistent. I don't believe, like the Mormons, that someone can come along later and just change, you know, what sure. what was said before. Um, however, I do believe that that the old Testament, you know, or the Tanakh, however you want to say it is, is by nature an incomplete document. It was never meant to stand on its own in perpetuity. It was meant to be added with the new Testament and what's, what's there. And that the new Testament in, in many ways is an inspired commentary on the old Testament. So I, I do believe in a, 
in programming. I would agree with that. By yeah, the way. and and I, I figured you you do. Um, I would agree, and I would think that the New Testament is. I would agree that nothing can come along and change truth. You know, not you know, if God says something is true. It's true, and it doesn't matter what someone says later. If someone says something different later. That's what you call a false prophet. But if if something is said in a more fuzzy way in the old Testament or in a way that is sort of in intended to be filled in later, um, then, then that's what we see in the new Testament. Okay. And, hang on just a sec. Yeah. So, so uh, right, right there. Um, you know, now I understand and, um, I, I listened, I tried to listen to, you know, a, a little bit of, of, uh, your conversation from, from last week. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously we can go to, to the Sabbath is a good one. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. w- one of the things that I would say is that the Sabbath doesn't seem to be fuzzy. We have the right. Sabbath established from the very beginning. Right. And not only that, but when Paul, you know, the idea of breaking the Torah up into ceremonial, civil, and, and moral, mm-hmm. I understand that, that um, I understand that. And I understand why people want to do that. However, I think that there, there are problems with that. I know that this is one of the things that Jeff Durbin really kind of, um, really pushed against. He didn't like that at all. Mm-hmm. That I would say, I don't think that the Torah can be broken up. But one of the reasons that I say that the Torah can't be bro- broken up into those kind of ca- categories, I, and I'm sorry, I, I, I'm I'm getting somewhere because mm-hmm. I, I want to hear your yeah. Um, I, I want to hear your thoughts on this. But one of the reasons I, I don't think that it can be broken up into those categories is because you have things like the Sabbath, which seems to fall into all three of those categories. It is moral, mm-hmm. it it is mm-hmm. civil, and it is ceremonial. Yeah. So you have all of those things. Now, mm-hmm. in a passage like, and it's on my mind because I'm actually preaching through this coming Saturday, but on a passage like Acts 21, mm-hmm. okay, like 2021, 20, you have the Jerusalem count or the Jerusalem Council, however you want to say it, say it the elders yes, yeah. help Paul to go and fulfill something so that mm-hmm. the rumors of him being against Moses and against circumcision will be dispelled. Right. And to do that, what does he do? He goes and he actually takes part in ceremonial aspects of the law right. to show people that he's not against Moses and the mm-hmm. law. And one of the questions that I'd have for you, when we talk about the New Testament filling in mm-hmm. the portions of the law that might be fuzzy, mm-hmm. what do you do then with the Sabbath, which certainly doesn't seem to be fuzzy, but actually is spoken of from the very first pages of, of Genesis? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that's a, a great question. And I I don't think to to be clear, I don't think that it's the law, it's the case that the law was fuzzy. Um it's that our relationship to the law um is I, I agree with you, is related to covenants and and that it's the full explanation of those covenants that that brings about the changes. So let me kind of give you a you know, my audience is pretty familiar with this, but just kind of how I approach the law. I'm actually doing in the kind of right in the middle of a series on this, but, um, so I, I, I'm a big fan of biblical theology. I like, you know, which I'm sure you're familiar with, you know, just trace stuff through from the beginning, you know, let the systematic stuff come in as, as it falls out of the biblical theology. But, um, what I see when I, when I start in Genesis, I see patterns for how, um, concepts like sin and obedience are presented. Um, and so in, in Genesis, you have lots of examples of clear examples of sin. 
And you also have lots of instances where God commands something. He says, do this or, you know, whatever. Um, those, those sort of two things rarely overlap. It's, it's almost, almost exclusively, not all, not completely. Obviously the sin of Adam is, is, is the main, main overlap, but sure. outside of that, you've got, you know, law, by the way, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, so you've got, that's a, you know, point of overlap. But other than that, you look at, you know, when, when, uh, with Cain and Abel, you know, God says sin is crouching at the door, but he doesn't ever say thou shalt not murder. Um, but he says what he says. God says what he says, knowing Cain knows, you know, he knows what's in Cain's heart. Cain knows he knows what's in his heart. He knows that this is about murder and that, that you Cain, you know, this is sin, you know, be, be diligent. Obviously Cain wasn't, um, but you have these many, many examples, you, you know, the Joseph and, and Potiphar's wife, you know, him running from the sin, all those sorts of things where, but it didn't explicitly say thou shalt not commit adultery or, or things like that. It, it's not in the text, the command, but the sin is clearly displayed. So, so the Bible does this in lots of different ways. You know, it, it, this idea, for example, of the, you know, polygamy isn't specifically condemned in the Torah. However, every example of polygamy is a disaster <laughs> in the, in the Torah right. and, and everywhere throughout the, the scriptures. It's like the scriptures are saying, don't do this, yes. but, yes. but I'm, I'm going to tell to you in a different way. So it, it's what, so we see this kind of pattern in Genesis. You've got sins and you've got commands, but most of the commands in Genesis are things like Noah, build an ark, Abraham, go to this place, you know, they're very specific to specific people for specific purposes. Um, and usually redemptive, they're, they're part of the redemption plan uh, of God. So that's, that's sort of how things get rolling in Genesis. When you get to Exodus, obviously you have the beginnings of the giving of the, the law uh, to, to Israel and the whole law. And the, um, I, I kind of wrote this down to see you know, make sure I'm, I'm clear on, it. I want to, I kind of want to read what I wrote because I don't want to be sure, too verbose here, but please, please. you know, we don't have stuff in Genesis about particular doctrines as, as far as commands given as you know, for things like sat, Sabbath. Yes. Seventh day is mentioned. Rest is mentioned, but the command you shall rest is, is not there. Um, yes, there's stuff about dietary laws, but not specifically what we see in, in Exodus and Leviticus. Um, uh, you know, feast circumcision again. Circumcision happens with with one guy, and it's it's given as to his his uh, descendants. But but a lot of these things aren't so they're 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 not given the same way as as they're later given. Um, so I would take them to be when when they're given to Israel. The thing that you see, and this is this is how I come down on like moral ceremonial civil. I I was like, okay, you know point taken obviously there's no there's no passage that says here's a list here's the three buckets and here's how they're labeled and how you're supposed to deal with them because i agree with you that that they're not like that they're not in there as as separate buckets that we should you know we should keep these forever and these ones are to be done away with and that kind of thing um however laws are presented in different ways in the torah so you have 
civil law, the way that I define, and this may be not the traditional way, but it captures basically everything in civil law. Um, civil laws are presented as conditions, conditional statements, or some might say case law. They would say, if this happens, this is what you do. You know, if someone murders, this is how you deal with it. If someone kidnaps, if someone, but even if someone's unclean, if your house has got a spot, you know, all these little, if this happens, here's how you handle it. And I would say everything like that, it, I would put into a label of, call it civil law. Now, obviously, that includes a lot of things that everyone agrees is moral law, um, things like murder and, and stuff like that. And it would also include what a lot of people call ceremonial law, you know, cleanliness and, and you know, don't go to the temple till you've washed and waited, you know, till sundown, that kind of stuff. So so civil law to me actually covers it's 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 related to everything else. Um, but then what I would call ceremonial law is any law that's given where it it's not just given, but it's given with a purpose. And um, there's a purpose given that says, here's why I'm giving it to you, because I, I'm your God and I brought you out of Egypt. Or this is to because you this is to consecrate you or this is to make you holy. You know, it it keeps coming back to because you're my special people and I want to sure, make you. You know, this is this is my covenant with you specifically. That's why I'm giving you this law. And and this happens for Sabbath, for all the feasts, for the dietary laws, for circumcision, for, you know, right down to, you know, beards and, and stuff like that. It that you always see that accompanying not not maybe every single time it's mentioned, but but you can find it connected to all of what you know people argue are ceremonial laws. Okay, um, hang on just a sec, though. Yeah. Can, can we go back to, to your definition of civil law? Because it seems yeah. to me that the Sabbath would certainly fall under that, right? Yeah. If a person, if a person uh, transgresses the Sabbath, it's the death penalty, right? Right, right, absolutely. And um, and so here's, and so as far as, so this is just, I mean, I, I haven't, I didn't read this somewhere, and maybe I'm wrong, <laughs> but I, as I, you know, one of the first things I did when I started studying this stuff is, well, the first thing I'm going to do is read the Torah again, you know, read every, read it very carefully because I want to make sure I, I'm not just arbitrarily, you know, picking stuff that I think should be different. Um, and so I, I did see that with, with a lot of laws. Um, there's this, you know, Israel, you are special and, and, you know, in it's said in different ways, but it's it's often there. Often references Egypt, that kind of thing. So then, moral law is, I think that at the at the time of you know before Sinai, before or really before Moses, I should say, because some laws are given before Sinai, but before Moses, you have a clear. You know, we don't know everything God said to everyone, so we don't know. Maybe God did tell people. You shouldn't do this or you should do this. I tend to think that when it comes to moral laws, Paul had it right in Romans 2. Um, that what Paul says in Romans 2 and 5 about, in 2 he says it about Gentiles, in 5 he says it in a different, little bit different way about from Adam to Moses, is that there was sin and people sin who don't have the law. 
And in Romans 2, he says it's because they have they are in a way a law unto themselves, having a conscience that that within them that basically tells them, you know, this is why they per- they still perish. It's still just that they perish, even if they never heard God's law, because God put a law in their hearts. And even if that's twisted by the fall, it's it's they still don't live up to it. They still don't live up to their own law in their hearts. And you have in Romans five, you know, it talks about, you know, from, you know, where, you know, sin is not taken account where there's no law or some, something like that. And and but they yet they died from Adam to Moses. Well, from Adam to Moses, they still had that law within their hearts. It's it's a creation. It's from creation. And I, so I think that there is a law and it's, it's moral in nature in, in the sense that it's eternal. It's always been there. It's always going to be there from Genesis as a, as a part of the fact that we're made in the image of God. That's always been there. But I do believe that at, with Moses, God fleshed out even that moral law. You know, he, he, he added things that maybe people didn't think of as moral law, but, but that I would take to be moral law, such as a lot of what he says you know, that's civil law related to that moral law. You know, he says, here's how you do justice. If someone steals from you, they should make recompense to you and, and add to it. You know, that's, that's moral. That's a, to me, that's, I look that, I see that's a moral law. Um, it's, it's also a civil law. Um, one of my favorite laws to say, you know, yeah, you want something that's all three is look at the law regarding, um, the, uh, the cities of refuge, you know, you've got if someone murders, okay, we're talking moral. They should run to, they should flee to one of the Levite cities. So this is dealing with the priesthood, which is ceremonial, and and obviously the whole thing is civil in the sense that here's how you deal with this whole situation. So I agree with you. There's not like a like three buckets, but there there are laws given that have different purposes and different stuff behind them as sort of their primary thing. And if a law you know, and you said, and and you, and this is one of the things I responded to you last week was, you know, what about you know not cheating on your wife? You know, marriage is also given with the purpose of pointing to Christ or being a, a symbol of Christ. And I would say, you know, here, here, it's also it it kind of fits more than one spot. Um, so it's not like if something is any way symbolizes you know Christ or any way is ceremonial, we should just you know, chuck it or get rid of it. In fact, the way that I put it, because I, I see the New Testament, I see the the respect of the law, I see Roman or Acts 21, how, you know, people are saying, and I think there's a key thing people are people miss when it comes to Paul and the law. And I think this is the actual misunderstanding that Peter's talking about, but is that is not that he thought that, you know, you're still meant to do the, the law in the same way. So I don't say I never say this or that law is done away with. It's not it's not part of my vocabulary because again, I it's not that it's I think it is biblical. I, I think that um, Hebrews does talk that way sometimes. But I think that also it's, you know, it, Paul doesn't say, you know, you shouldn't do this or or whatever in the law. So the uh, w- the way that I see it is some laws have always been the case. Those are what we would, you know, you can call them what you want. People have different labels. You can call them moral laws. They've always been around in a sense since Genesis. Um, ceremonial laws were specific laws given to Israel with the purpose of pointing to Christ. And now how we relate to those laws 
is is different because of Christ. It's not okay. that we don't keep them, you know. And and I want to I want to finish with this just to give you, and I you know sort of the the stock example because for me it is this uh, the Sabbath is a great example. Why was the Sabbath? Why did the Sabbath have a death penalty? Well, here, what did it point to? It pointed to Christ because Christ said, "Come to me, you are weary. I will give you rest." The the Sabbath command is to rest, and Jesus says, "Come to me, I will give you rest." And in in Hebrews three and four, where it talks about the Sabbath, it says it. The whole section is about faith, faith, faith. It's all about faith, and and you know, therefore, a Sabbath remet a Sabbath rest remains because we rest by faith and it keeps citing the same Psalm over and over to point out uh, this stuff. And it even says in Hebrews, you know, some will say, you know, it said somewhere, you know, the seventh day. And I say, and I, he, he, he goes back to the Psalm. He says, I, I, I say to you today, you know, today do not, you know, uh, lose faith or, or what I can't remember the exact wording, but the point is that, that it does change to today and it changes to faith that true Sabbath is, is rest in Christ. And, and that, and therefore I disagree. Hang on, just take that. Okay. Hasn't, hasn't true Sabbath always been rest in Christ? Abraham was mm-hmm. saved the same, same way that, that I'm saved and the same way that right. you're saved. Okay. So Abraham's true rest was in Christ, which means a- Moses's true rest was in Christ. Mm-hmm. Yet Moses had to keep the Sabbath, right? Right. Okay, so I don't understand that. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a disconnect. There's, there, yeah. there's a lot that you, there's a lot that you've said there, and mm-hmm. and uh, you know, we could go back to some main points. <laughs> I think one of the reasons that you have a difference between laws in Genesis as opposed to Exodus is because of what you have going on. You have narrative as opposed to law giving and covenant giving. So mm-hmm. the reason that you have specific laws given in Exodus the way that they're given is because you have law code actually being right. being given in Genesis. You don't. However, we still see laws within Genesis. Mm-hmm. For instance, we see Melchizedek actually, uh, you know, and we see sacrifice, we see priesthood, we see all these different things within Genesis, but it's not actually uh, spelled out until Exodus when the law code is given. With that said, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, I think, and I know that we're running out of time here, mm-hmm. but I think one of the uh, things that I would want to ask and one of the things that I would be interested in in discussing is the idea of God's holiness. Did mm-hmm. Was it a, an offense to God's holiness within, and I don't know if you're a dispensationalist or not, but let's just use the term. I'm not yeah, a yeah. dispensationalist, but right? me neither. Let's just <laughs> let's just use the term dispensation during the time frame or the dispensation mm-hmm. of the law, quote unquote, yeah. the law before Christ came. Was it uh, was it a mark against God's holiness for someone to transgress the Sabbath? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say so. In Yes, in in the same way that any any disobedience of of what God specifically commanded a, a person to do is is that. So, um, it you know, when, with the with the Sabbath, I I agree that so the that yeah Moses he was expected to rest on the seventh day, and 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 as a, as all Israel Israel was. Um, the the fact that yes it's true in a sense that that Abraham rests in Christ that, that anyone who's saved rests in Christ they didn't know who Christ was specifically but yeah everyone who's saved it's by faith in Christ okay hang on, right? well, hang on just a sec though Abraham longed to see my day and he saw it 
Yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, so, I, I mean, and and Abraham does seem to know. He does. Right? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not saying, I, you know, he obviously there's you know with a, when a prophet and I would consider Abraham a prophet, anyone who sure. who talked to God, um, what they saw, what they knew. You know, I, I agree that, yeah, I mean, Christ was around. He, he saw Christ, I, I, you know, before Abraham was born, I am, you know, Abraham. Yeah. I, I, what I'm saying is, you know, they didn't, you know, as a, as a community, they didn't, you know, they didn't know exactly who it was going to be or how it was going to sure, look, sure. you know, is, yeah, is yeah, prophetic I, I for them. That. But, sure, sure. but it was the idea that, um, that these, these, uh, these cer- certain commands are given specifically, you know, with, with several purposes, but the new Testament fleshes out. I believe that these were given specifically to point to Christ and to foreshadow and to give, give them a picture so that when he came, his people would recognize him, you know, right away. And, and okay, then okay, that would get fleshed out. I, I think that, I think that, you know, where I'm going with this and, and maybe you don't, but, and I know that we have to get to some Q and A yeah, before yeah. before we're, we're finished, and, and yeah. I know that my kids are about to go to sleep, so, so yeah. probably yours are too. Um, <laughs> with that said, I mean the one thing that I want to kind of highlight here, and this is one of the mm-hmm. one of the points that I think is is often overlooked when we talk about um, the covenants and how they relate to believers today, mm-hmm. is that within and this is not within Judaism, within Christianity from some of the very first creeds and confessions all the way up into the Reformation. You know, if we look at the Baptist Confession of 1689, if we look mm-hmm. at, um, you know, the Lutheran Confessions, if we look at, I mean, take your confession. One of them, one of the key points that is often made is that God's holiness doesn't change. So obviously the, the uh, point that I'm going to try to highlight yeah. here and, and is that if God's holiness doesn't change, which Christianity predominantly, especially in the Reformed tradition, has always believed, and I think mm-hmm. the Bible teaches that, I am the Lord your God, I do not change, therefore Israel is not consumed. Right. Okay, so if God, God's holiness doesn't change, and it was an offense on his holiness to break the Sabbath in a certain way, mm-hmm. and now it's not an offense on his holiness mm-hmm. to break the Sabbath in that same way. And to me, that is a change in his holiness. Mm-hmm. It's, it tells me that God has changed. And if God has changed, then we are all doomed. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, that's, yeah. that's and, one of the ways that I, that I, you know, I think of covenant obedience today. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I agree with that, that, <laughs> that it doesn't change. Um, and I, I think that um, it's not, I think what is attached to, you know, what that his holiness or his, you know, what he considers um, good and, and bad, what it's attached to uh, is is not always necessarily the, the specifics, um, but is attached to something, again, related more to the purpose. And we, we um, <laughs> the funny thing is I, I wrote down like a bunch of questions that I, I'm not going to be able to get to. We should definitely, I, no, no, it's fine. I honestly, I'm glad because I wanted to honestly introduce you to, you know, this audience as, as an example, just to, to show people like I, I hit Hebrew roots hard, you know, and, uh, and obviously don't identify with the title, but, but you know what I'm talking about. And, and most of what I talk about comes down to the law and, um, and I wanted to just, 
show people that, you know, cause some people are like, ah, you know, you, you just hate the law. It's like, no, you know, I, I think that Christians who disagree on this can have a good conversation about it and actually get somewhere. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, it, let, let me just plug real quick. You know, I, I know that I Messiah Matters is the main uh, is yeah. the podcast that I that I help host, but I also run a, um, a ministry page with my wife called Growing a Messiah. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have I mean, we have a very brand new um, YouTube mm-hmm. channel, but at some point cool. it would be good to continue this conversation. Yeah. You know, and and have more of a conversation on this because I really do like uh, you know hearing kind of the um, the explanations for some of the things that you know it's easy to sit on in a chair and talk to somebody that you agree with mm-hmm. and say how can these people believe X Y Z Yeah, it's another thing to actually sit down and talk to a person that you believe is obviously a brother in the Lord and then have these kind of conversations. I think mm-hmm. it actually does do something. It opens up the uh, ability to understand better. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So, yeah, we should definitely continue and do do another yes. another time. And, and now that we got all that stuff out of the way and get into some yes. of the, the deep stuff. Um, yes. I'd hoped, I'd really hoped to tonight because I know that's what a lot of people wanted to hear. But but I think this was good. I mean, we, we got some of the groundwork. So um, there are so, so, so many questions. We are, we are not... <laughs> Usually, like I do Q and A every every show, and I usually have a you know half a dozen at the most. I'm I, I I've been seeing the chat go by, but I don't really look at it too much. Um, sure. But it's it's kind of it's out of control. So we are gonna. So everybody, if you if you put a question in, I cannot promise we'll get to it tonight because we're we're already a, a little over time. Um, but I will plan on writing them all down. And if they were for me, um, putting something out to, to answer them. If they were for Caleb, I'm sure once everything processes yep. and he can pull the live chat, um, or frankly, I'll just write them all down. I'll, I'll send them if, to an If email. you send them to me, I'd be happy to, uh, to, to make a video as well. But also, you mm-hmm. know, as I said, I, I'd be more than happy to have you uh, come on to uh, Growing a Messiah as well. And, yeah. And, and I'll be down for that. Things, so. Be down for that for sure. All right, so let's let's grab the first one here. I've got so uh, Jeremiah Lawson asks question: What do you think about the word circumcision in regards to a mutual conversion to Judaism in a Second Temple context, as opposed to its meaning in the Old Testament? Is there any argument? Okay, so so can I just shed a yeah. little light on this? Uh, I think that uh, Jeremy or Jeremiah is, is uh, referencing uh, my view that the word circumcision actually has dual meaning within the scriptures, as as do many mm-hmm. words. But mm-hmm. one of the meanings can be a physical circumcision, and one of them, I believe, in the New Testament is uh, that of a ritual conversion mm-hmm. into Ju- into Judaism, okay, as opposed to just the physical act of circumcision. So I believe what uh, Jeremiah is asking is whether or not you um, believe that the word circumcision does have or can have a dual meaning within the New Testament. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I think when Paul says, you know, that, you know, if someone is circumcised, he's he's obligated to keep the whole law. He's not saying if you if you happened to have gone through the procedure, that's not what it's about. It's about the the whole ritual the whole conversion that's that's what i would take take it to mean though you know obviously the word means just the the physical 
sure. surgery one of the, in one's one of respect the, to. <laughs> uh, one of the verses that I often point to is circumcision is nothing, uncircumcision is nothing, but what matters is keeping the commandments. And mm-hmm. obviously circumcision is a commandment within the law. Mm-hmm. So it seems as though there might be, and when I talked to N.T. Wright, we, you know, I, I asked him about that specific passage um, and <laughs> mm-hmm. he had some mm-hmm. interesting response. Anyway, keep going. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm seeing here, Jeremiah, you have lots of questions. <laughs> That's great, though. Um, they're mostly, they're, a lot of them coming from from one place. I'm going to skip down just because I want to give kind of other people a shot at a question. So uh, next question, uh, this is from, hold on. Uh, oh, hold on. Oh, yeah, I mean, that, there's there's a lot from... I'm actually, I thought I saw one from someone else, but I, I didn't. Okay, so I'm just going to keep going down here and we'll get to what we can. This is for Caleb. It says, do you think eschatology influences someone to follow Torah? For example, Zechariah 14, if interpreted in a futurist way, can encourage two, oh, Torah observance, T-O, uh, for Sukkot as opposed to a partial preterist, uh, which says Zechariah 14 is symbolic. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that, um, and, and I talk about this a lot when discussing the idea of dispensationalism, because I, I don't believe that dispensationalism is actually biblical. Um, but the idea that it seems to me that within the eschatological uh, passages, especially those within the Old Testament or the Tanakh, I believe that Torah is still a, um, I, I think it's still a focus of the prophets. And, uh, you know, Kaiser, for instance, uh, when, when talking about the, the new covenant, because I asked Kaiser uh, at the last ETS meeting about the new covenant, and he said, well, you might be surprised to know that I don't think that the new covenant was made with, with uh, the church, which I don't either. I think that the new covenant was made with Israel. It says with Israel mm-hmm. and Judah, and then Judah falls away uh, within mm-hmm. that passage, and it just focuses on Israel. This is one of the reasons mm-hmm. that I believe in enlargement theology, which we talked mm-hmm. about earlier. Yeah. Uh, and I tried to kind of relate that to um, Romans 11. Mm-hmm. I believe that Gentiles become part of Israel and enlarge Israel, not that they replace Israel. Mm-hmm. And so this is how Gentiles become part of the new covenant is they attach themselves to Israel through covenant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I would say, you know, that, uh, when it comes to, and this is, this will kind of flesh out what I, something I was saying earlier about what's fuzzy in the Old Testament. Well, what's fuzzy in the Old Testament is, is predictive prophecy. When, when you have stuff that's, that's talking about what's going to happen in the future, it's almost always very symbolic. And, and that, you know, it's obvious that I would take, you know, passages like that to be speaking, obviously to, it's speaking to Israel. They are, you know, right smack in the middle of the the Mosaic Covenant, which I, I do think um, is a, as Paul says, is a side issue. We don't have time to get into the, all that stuff. But but basically that, that, uh, that yeah, it's speaking in, in those terms, but that it's speaking, that whenever you see stuff that's speaking prophetically, you have to, you know, kind of back up is like, okay, how, how, how literal should we take this for, I mean, cause for example, Paul, Jesus says that a sign that was given of him was Jonah, that Jonah being three days in the belly of the fish is, is him three days in the, in the earth. Well, obviously 
Jesus didn't go into a fish. You know, it's it's and and even the passage itself wasn't to be wasn't thought of by or maybe it was thought of by someone as as messianic, but but it's not obviously from the context about Christ. But Jesus says, "No, that's about me too," and and here's what it symbolizes. And so, a lot of uh, that's how why I would take and and we could talk about eschatology probably for a long time too. But but why I would take predictive stuff not to be you, you don't want to go there for the normative of what we should expect as far as moral stuff. Um, I would, t- I would tend to agree with you. Um, how, however, the, you know, and my uncle's a, a Baptist pastor mm-hmm. of a, a large church down in California. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he disagrees with my father and me mm-hmm. heavily on the idea of Torah observance. Mm-hmm. Um, although I think he keeps more Torah than, than he thinks he does. But the point <laughs> is, is that, um, you know, we've talked very little, but I've asked him about, you know, the same kind of idea that you're putting forward, but the idea of 10 chapters of measurements of a new temple. I mean, I don't understand how this would relate to, uh, you know, what is it, what is this symbolic of if it's not of a real temple? Why is he giving us direct measurements of a temple? Mm-hmm. Uh, is that to uh, tell us something about our heart? Is it to tell us something? I mean, 10 chapters of it. It's, yeah. it's a little, it's a little bit uh, interesting. It but, is interesting. I, I do, yeah. Can I can I um, just respond to one thing that I saw in the chat room sure. here? Uh, uh, abiding in Christ uh, is the channel that uh, says that Jesus is the root. And I think that you and I would possibly be able to agree with this. If this is in reference to Romans 11, I don't mm-hmm. believe that Jesus can be the root. And the reason why is because this goes back to my belief in the doctrines of grace. You're not born into Christ. Mm-hmm. And you can't fall, you can't be, torn away from Christ. Mm-hmm. If we believe that a person is, is uh, chosen, you are born into sin, and then you come to Christ because he brings you to himself. Mm-hmm. And then the, uh, you know, it, it says right. that, uh, it says that Israel can be ripped off of the branches, the mm-hmm. natural branches can be taken off. Right. Um, and so to me, this, I don't believe in, in the loss of salvation. So I don't believe that Jesus can be the root if this comment specifically is mm-hmm. talking about Romans 11, which it might not be. So, might, yeah. I mean, it's the only route tangent. we, it's the only route we talked about in this, in the episode. So right. maybe that's, that's, so I, I think I've got, I'll, I'll throw in one more question here. And then sure. Jeremiah, since I can see that it's, it's basically all Jeremiah Lawson. I, I appreciate <laughs> your, your many questions. And I see a lot of them are for, for Caleb. So I will, um, you know, once everything processes, I'll try to copy this all over to, Sure. An email, or if you catch it first, you know, I know it takes longer for the live chat to show, um, even after the show, even when the video's up. So I don't know what that's about. But anyway, um, let me grab um, something that oh, I saw a good one here. Okay, so uh, this one asks so, okay, this is for you again, Caleb. If the law is perfect per Psalm 119, which includes the Levitical priesthood. Why did there need to be a new priesthood? I'm yeah, guessing he's I mean, referring to Hebrews and the Melchizedek, Jesus. All right. That. So, so ultimately, this goes back to um, my belief that, and we know that uh, Christ was crucified from the foundations of the world, right? I mean, mm-hmm. this is um, this is told to us in Revelation. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? And so, the question that I would have is: there is a textual variant there, by the way. Uh, okay, <laughs> but, I agree with you. But I'll, I'll I, you know, 
make your point and, and we'll, so, we'll just assume so, it for the moment. <laughs> okay. So, so let's, let's just uh, even say that, that the priesthood in the heavens is, is what it's the true priesthood, right? Mm-hmm. So when he talks, I mean, this goes back yeah. to the discussion of what the priesthood that, yeah. is in Hebrews. And, and the point that I would make is that obviously the new priesthood, that is Christ, is eternal. In other words, and he, he describes this, there, there needed to be an eternal priesthood, someone mm-hmm. after the order of Melchizedek, and this is kind of a, what we call a midrash mm-hmm. on Melchizedek, because Melchizedek doesn't have a genealogy, and right. he doesn't seem to die. I mean, we can assume that he did. But the writer to the Hebrews is now taking the fact that there is no genealogy and there is no death, and he's now going to apply it to the fact that we have mm-hmm. a high priest that doesn't have a beginning and doesn't have an end. Unlike, mm-hmm. and he even says this, unlike the priest here on earth who has to go in every year to the Holy of Holies. Mm-hmm. And so I think that he, what he's highlighting is, is that Christ is not from the, in other words, he's not from the priestly line. Mm-hmm. And so there, this is the difference between the priesthood in, in the heavenly realm as opposed to the priesthood here on earth. That's how I understand that passage. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not certain, as far as my take on it, I, I haven't, I'd have to look at it again to see whether I thought that the priesthood itself was held eternally. Obviously, Jesus is an eternal person, and that's how he holds the Melchizedek priesthood, but was it something he had, you know, was it something he had to, you know, become incarnate to, to hold and then take back, basically take back and offer himself as that Melchizedek priest, you know, I'm uh, not, I'm not positive of, of Jeremiah's question. Um, Yeah. Yeah. In terms, in terms of the exact passage, I think he might be talking about, passage that says where there's a change in priesthood, there's mm-hmm. a change in law. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of what I tried to explain yeah. there. My father has written in, by the way, I don't consider myself a scholar. My father is a genuine scholar. I mean, he's, he's mm-hmm. uh, done a lot of work and he has two masters and, and has, uh, whether or not you agree with him or not, he certainly um, has, has uh, been in the realm of, of scholar. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's written a two, uh, uh, volume commentary on the book of of Hebrews, which Mm -hmm. I think is very good and, and talks, obviously it's a verse by verse uh, commentary and talks specifically about this passage. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, that's good to, good to know. So, um, I think we are, we're going to have to cut it there or out of time, but, um, I appreciate you coming on Caleb and, and yeah, definitely let's talk about, I'll be glad to come on, on your guys' show and we can Absolutely. Get into some of the details of that other stuff. Do a do a part two. I really appreciate you uh, inviting me on, brother. It's been it's been a good time, and and uh, I I really appreciate the the conversation, the honest conversation. Unlike some of the conversations I've had with other people. Yeah, it's it's tough. It's a, <laughs> it's an emotionally charged subject, you know. And sure. and we yeah, there's there's a lot of reasons I think for that. But anyway, I appreciate you coming on. Um, and I'm gonna go ahead and sign off here. Uh, Thank you guys uh, so much for coming. Thanks for all the questions and God bless. And we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to the beginning of wisdom podcast. 
podcast, you can follow Andrew Schumacher and the ministry at beginningwisdom.org, where you can find links to the YouTube channel and follow on social media. Sign up for email alerts to never miss new content. Please like, share, and rate the episode if it has blessed you. God bless and always be ready.